Well, our preaching pastor today needs no introduction as Pastor Thomas Hagen is a familiar face to us as a worship leader on a regular basis, but we have the privilege to welcome him for the first time to the pulpit in order to lead us in God's word as he leads us in the overflow of his heart from God's word for us as the congregation. And so enjoy getting to know a little bit about Pastor Thomas in this upcoming video as we all look forward to hearing from God's word as led by Pastor Thomas uh, in our continued series of Overflow today. I'm originally from Northern Ireland, but I grew up here in the U.S. Gia Ditch is Misha Thomas Hagen. Hello, my name is Thomas Hagen. My favorite drink is Jones Soda Berry Lemonade. Quality. Oh, it just so happens that I brought them here. Uh, this is a Velociraptor from the original Jurassic Park. Love it, played with it growing up. And also super into Power Rangers. Here's a Green Ranger, my favorite. The Green Ranger was the coolest and he was green. And I'm from Ireland and that's important for green. And his name was Tommy, my name's Thomas. He's also a Christian in real life. He's an MMA fighter and he owns the clothing company Jesus Didn't Tap. Skateboarder, computers, church. Ooh, favorite movie is probably Tommy Boy uh, because it's hilarious. <laughs> I'm not signing off on all of it here at church in front of all these people, but Tommy Boy probably. You know, actually, Jonathan and I have teamed up for one project before. It was for the Serve Together celebration a couple years ago, so you should check that out. This is my dad, David, my mom, Helen, my brother, Andrew, his wife, Tori, and their two children. Uh, they're named Benjamin and Joanna. Hello everyone, welcome again to those in the West Auditorium, those in the East Auditorium, everyone online. We're so glad to have you here again. My name is Thomas. I'm excited to share with you today from God's Word. If you would open to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that's where we'll be hearing from God's Word today. As you're turning there, share a little bit more about myself and also the ministry that I take part in. I am the young adult pastor here at First Christian Church and I lead the ministry Young Decatur. Uh, also, on the weekends, I often am leading worship. That is one of my responsibilities to serve as a worship leader. And part of that responsibility is to lead you in something very near and dear to my heart, the Lord's Supper, communion. It's the place every single week where we return to remember and relive the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and brought us new life. And we remember that by taking a small piece of bread and some juice together. And I call it like fun size or micro machine size communion. It's a good time. But uh, those of you online, remember, uh, get something to eat and drink so when time comes to take communion at the end of this message, we can do it all together. There's a question that I have faced when learning about and growing in my knowledge of communion, and it's this, and it's actually the number one question that we have for first time guests coming to the church in our first steps class. This is the question. Why does your church celebrate communion every single week? 
See, for many church traditions, this is odd because most, many churches will celebrate communion either once a month or once a quarter, and some churches actually don't celebrate communion at all. But here at FCC, we practice it every single week. And one could argue, if you do it every single week, won't it become rote or routine, ritual or become meaningless? Won't it lose its power? Well, let's explore that today as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But before we look at this letter as a whole, uh, let's look at the context of the 1 Corinthians letter and then also learn a little bit about the author, the Apostle Paul, who wrote it. So Paul, he's the most prominent first century Christian missionary and church planter, and he has planted the church in the Greek city of Corinth. So he starts a church there and then he leaves and he goes throughout the Greek and Roman world planting lots of churches and writing scripture. And just three years after leaving, he gets word, he hears word, that the church in Corinth is not doing well. So there are these religious leaders within the church, Christian teachers, who are teaching divisive doctrine. They're teaching things that are splitting the church into factions and between different religious leaders. And it's within this context of division that we hear Paul bring his rebuke to this church his call to unity, and his correction of the Lord's Supper. Paul's like a dad at the dinner table who's about to lay a smackdown on his children who are out of control. They're completely unruly. Let's look at verse 17 of chapter 11. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, whenever you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. You see, for the Corinthians, this, they would have taken wine, we use juice, but they would have had wine and bread in addition to a large meal celebrating the Lord's Supper, whereas we get to do, you know, the fun size version, they get the king size candy bar, they get to do the whole thing here. But there's a problem with their meal together. The divisions that we just spoke about, they are affecting the way that they do church together. There are divisions even within the worship service. If we read on in verses 21 and 22, we see specifically the things that they're doing wrong. When you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, another gets drunk at church. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. All right, so let's focus in on verses 21 and 22, the ones we just read, and we'll see the different ways that Paul is frustrated with the church. Verse 21, they go ahead with private meals. They don't wait for, nor do they include others. Verse 22, the poor Christians are being humiliated by the rich Christians who won't wait for, nor include them. And these suppers are turning into absolute keggers and people are getting drunk at church. So I have one question for you. How on earth is this supposed to get somebody drunk? That is some pretty potent moonshine right there. No, like we said earlier, this was done in the context of a meal. 
and they would have had kegs full of the alcoholic version of this stuff. And during their church services, they're getting drunk. So we can see a few ways here that the church is not doing well, where they're falling short. It can be difficult for us to understand how the Corinthian church could have gone so far off the rails. It's one thing to have like a few Christians struggling with alcoholism or drunkenness. It's one thing to have a few Christians who are struggling with being selfish, but this has become the norm in their church to the point where it affects their weekend gatherings together. It can be hard for us to understand until you start to look at the context of their ancient Greek world and see how parties worked in ancient Greece. You see, in ancient Greece, there would have been these large banquet meals around every social event, whether it was a funeral, a philosophical debate, or a pagan religious event. All of these things were split up by social class. They would split up into different areas, the rich and the poor, the slave and the free, where the best meals and conversations and even entertainment were reserved for the rich and the affluent only. So when we look at verses 21 and 22 in our Bibles and we compare that to what's taking place in their church, it looks a lot like their culture. Their church service compared to the ancient Greece party culture is uncanny. The similar similarities are uncanny. It appears the church's communion was being more shaped by banquet drinking parties of ancient Greece rather than the Lord's Supper that Paul, their spiritual father, had passed on to them. Essentially, there is a church potluck gone wild. So the rich people go to church early and they start eating the chicken wings and the chicken legs. They devour all of the green beans. And by the time the poor people get off work to come to church to be part of the meal and the Lord's Supper, not only do they show up and find that there is no food left for them, all of the rich Christians are completely wasted. It's a bad image for church. And ironically, Paul is so frustrated with their lack of communion that he doesn't even correct their drunkenness at this time. Now, there are other places in scripture where Paul will correct drunkenness and say it's unwise, but here he's frustrated with their lack of community. So that's what he's focused on. So here are the few things that they're doing wrong. They're getting drunk at church. The Greek party culture has brought division and broken relationship between the poor and rich Christians, which was Paul's main frustration. And these divisions have damaged their corporate gatherings. It's affected the way that they do this, the Lord's Supper, communion. It's at this point that the Apostle Paul brings to them some very familiar words. Words that he would have given to them on a previous trip. Words that are also familiar to us because we read them often when partaking of the Lord's Supper. Starting in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Moving on from these familiar words that we know well, Paul warns the Corinthians to take these words seriously. Verse 27, so then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy matter will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. In the church that I grew up in, we also read that passage weekly for communion. And whenever it came to the part where it said, examine yourselves, I thought that meant I had to take this and focus very inwardly and say, okay, Jesus, here are all the ways I messed up and list my sins off well enough. And then in turn, I would be worthy enough to take communion. I'd be worthy enough to take the Lord's Supper as if I had some kind of ability to list my sins well enough to become worthy rather than freely accepting the grace and love and forgiveness that my gracious Savior Jesus gives to me. I'd completely missed it. I'd missed the communal nature and context of this meal. I didn't realize that Paul's saying, examine yourself meant to also examine the community and your relationships around you. To do it in a worthy manner was to be doing it with my brothers and sisters. Much like the Corinthian church, we too buy into divisions at the Lord's Supper. They bought into divisions of social class. But I think we buy into all sorts of divisions, including splitting ourselves off individually from the body of Christ. You see, we could be six feet away from someone, socially distanced, right? And not be taking communion with that person. Worse yet, we could be six inches away from someone and not be doing communion together. This is more than personal confession. This is meant to be communal reflection. It's why we call it communion. It's why we do it in community. It's why we do it together. Our modern culture, very individualistic. We have iPhones and iPads, personalized size pizzas. I get into my car and I turn on my playlist and I drive to my job so I can get more money, so I can have more success, so I can acquire the things that I want. Our world is very individualistic and it's very consumeristic and on top of that, it's encouraged. We're told to focus on me, focus on yourself. But church, we need to move from a we, excuse me, from a me mentality to a we mentality. We need to move from the kind of individualism that leads to selfishness. We need to move from a me mentality to a we mentality. When we take this, when we do communion, it's more than just personal confession of sin, it is also us reflecting on the body of Christ, our relationships with our brothers and sisters. When we examine ourselves, we should be asking questions like, who have I not included? Who have I not forgiven? Who have we wronged? Or who have we forgotten? 
Forgetting people and leaving them behind, it's never good. Several years ago, I was dating a girl. And uh, was dating a girl, past tense, it didn't work out. And guess what I did? Having a girlfriend visit a church with you whenever you're serving is kind of difficult. Like, so for me, as soon as the church service is over, I'm a social butterfly. I like to get out into that lobby and talk to all of you and say hi and hello and catch up on life. And these days we have our masks on. And then I gotta run back in here, pack up my guitar real quick and get to my car so I can drive off to lunch. And I'm always one of the last people out of the building. Again, I'm a social butterfly. Many of my friends are always waiting on me. <laughs> and I'm always the last person at lunch. So one Sunday, my girlfriend is visiting, and I'm serving. I get off the stage, I run into the lobby, and start having these conversations about halfway through, and she's like, oh, Thomas, when are we out? I'm like, give me a minute, I'm talking to people. We'll, we'll go, we'll go. And so then I run back in here, pack up my guitar, I head to my car, I drive, I leave the church, and I leave her at the church. I get to the restaurant and have to come back for her. So it didn't work out. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's funny for you, it wasn't funny for me. <laughs> that is a funny story, but there are many times when forgetting people or leaving them out is not funny. Like when it comes to the family of God. You see, we should act like family within these four walls, sure. But we need to act like family outside of these four walls. Let me ask you a couple questions. At your job, is there like this awkward coworker who just happens to be your sibling in Jesus. But every time you, uh, they come to you like every other day and like, hey, let's get lunch together. And you're like, oh, no thanks, I'm good, I'm busy. Because you don't wanna hang out with them. Or maybe students, maybe there's a Christian, another Christian in your uh, home class, um, your morning class, or maybe in your grade. But to you, they're a little kind of, they're kind of weird, or maybe they don't fit your vibe. So you're like, I don't want anything to do with them. Brothers and sisters, family of God, this should not be. Our lunch tables should be filled with our brothers and sisters. We should be doing community with them and loving them like family. Let me remind you of Jesus' words in John 13. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Everyone will know if you love one another. In addition to communion being a great place to reflect on our love for fellow believers, it's also a great place to ask, what have I left undone in the body of Christ? It can be so easy to go to church and sit in the pew and say, I heard the message I sang the songs, I had communion, and I had my personal confession time with Jesus, I'm good and I'm out of here, and completely be disconnected from other believers and live out an individualistic faith. And I think that's especially easy during this COVID season where all these social situations are already broken up. It became very clear to the young adult ministry that we wanted to avoid that kind of division. So early on in the pandemic, we started a group called The Morning Gathering. 
So the morning gathering has met every single weekday at 7 a.m. since the pandemic started, since the shutdowns started in March. And we keep each other accountable by not only reading scripture and having a devotion together, we also talk about our spirituality plans for the day and our productivity plans for the day. And the people in this group were able to one, avoid social isolation, and two, remain deeply rooted in Christian community, even during the pandemic. And many in this group actually became leaders serving in the young adult ministry because they remained engaged rather than going MIA, missing in action, as many Christians have during this COVID season. Did you know that one in five, one in five Christians, typical churchgoers, March to September, have not been to church in person or online? 20%, that's crazy. Now, some people have legitimate reasons. Maybe they don't know how to use technology and maybe they're elderly and they they don't know how to use the computer. So things like, and there are people like that or people being very cautious. But many of those people are churchgoers who've just not made it a priority. But this young adult group was able to avoid that statistic because they chose to have a we rather than a me mentality. And it wasn't just the young adults. I love being at a church where there are five generations faithfully serving Jesus. That's crazy. We're a multi-generational church. Many of you remaining committed to the work of the church and the mission of the church. Here's just a few examples. Our community missions team helped deliver food to families during the pandemic. Small groups chose to make meeting a priority even though they could only do it online. Others got creative like the Arts Academy that enlisted people to sew and create masks when supplies were still very low. And many of you did things that no one ever saw for the kingdom of God. Thank you for faithfully serving when no one else saw it except for your heavenly father. And our prayer team continued to faithfully intercede for our city, our church, and even you when we did not know what else to do. So today, in the West Auditorium, in the East Auditorium, everyone online, church, hear this. There is a place for you to be serving in the kingdom of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a part of his body, and we need your unique personality, giftings, and abilities in order to reach our city. We need all hands on deck, all hands on deck, so that when we go out there, we can bring people to family dinner in here. The overflow of my heart is that we would not miss out on the communal nature of the Lord's Supper and that we would love one another well and in turn, those out there would be here as we go to them that the lost would be found and brought to the family table. And so, is taking communion weekly make it meaningless? No, it's only meaningless if you do it meaninglessly. Each week we return to this table in the presence of Jesus because we desperately need him. Christians are not perfect. We are imperfect people who've come to the realization of a savior 
Jesus. In a deeply spiritual way, we need communions for spiritual nourishment as the body of Christ. This spiritual meal is deeply meaningful, so we do it often. So today, we're gonna do communion a little differently. We're gonna fill this cup up a little bit more, and we're gonna pass it down the pews so that we can drink from one cup together today. No, I'm just kidding. No, we're still doing uh, the fun size communion. We're being cautious about this pandemic. We wanna care for people. But we are gonna do communion slightly different today. We're gonna have a time of personal, excuse me, personal reflection as we normally do. Then we're gonna have a time of communal reflection. And then after that, we'll have a prayer for unity. So at this time, I invite you to reflect, take time to check your heart before Jesus and confess your sins, knowing that we serve a loving and forgiving God. So just take a few moments to do that right now. Jesus, as we think of our many faults, we thank you that your love and grace are bigger than our mistakes. We are forgiven people because of your finished work on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. And now we're gonna take a few moments to reflect on who have we not included, not forgiven? Who have we wronged or forgotten? Take just a few moments to reflect on this. As you think of those relationships, hear this prayer. Lord, guide us as we seek to be a body undivided in this church. Mend our broken relationships so that the world can see that we love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. And now we're gonna join in a corporate prayer for unity. You'll read this prayer with me. You'll read the sections labeled the people. We'll pray this together. Lord Jesus, protect us as we seek to be a unified body. Lord, unify us. Jesus, as you prayed in John 17, protect us and make us one with the Father as you are one with him. Lord, unify us where Satan has tried to bring discord into the church, Lord, unify us. Where the sin of individuals has brought division, Lord, unify and heal us. Where we have followed the culture rather than your truth, Lord, unify and heal us. Where we have sought comfort over sacrifice, Lord, 
unify and heal us. Where we have forgotten or left behind our brothers and sisters, Lord, unify and heal us. Father God, finish your work in us. Holy Spirit, bind us together in unity. In Jesus' name, amen. Family, we have just had personal confession with our Savior. We've had communal reflection and we have prayed for unity. So I invite you now to take the Lord's Supper using some familiar but very meaningful words. For I received from the Lord what I've also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with me? Jesus, this is our prayer today. this simple Jesus Lord unify and heal us in Jesus name Amen church brothers and sisters I invite you to stand as we respond in worship we're going to continue and sing together this song that's new to us um, called clean and it really just talks about the what we celebrate in communion and the fact that through Jesus's death and his resurrection that we can be, be, be made pure white as snow and the cool thing is um, is that we can remember that 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 gift and that salvation is not just for people like us or people who look like us or act like us but it's it's a gift that is for anyone who is willing to accept it and to follow after Jesus. So as we sing it, I just challenge you to think about um, what Thomas has talked about. Who have we left out? Who have we overlooked? Who do we need to bring in and to love so that they too can know the love and, and the purity that Jesus brings? So would you sing this as you catch on? Precious blood has left me forgiven Pure like the whitest of snow Powerful to make sin and shame retreat This covenant is making me whole So I will rise 
you because there is no other name by which man must be saved. We praise you that you make us pure by your mercy, Lord God. You're making us whole. Lord, I pray that we would follow, that we would draw close so that, Lord, you would you would make us holy, Lord God, like you are holy. We worship you this morning. And we just praise you for who you are and what you've done. In your name we pray. Amen.